This past week, we have been remembering on the media the Hurricane Katrina coming to New Orleans, and it's somewhat painful to know that we are remembering it partly by preparing for the next hurricane coming into that same area in Gustav. seems like there are some things where just it repeats time after time after time. I want to turn your attentions today to Genesis chapter 20, and we're going to hear in this passage, again, a reoccurring problem, a reoccurring sin. I, uh, there have been times in my life when I've kept uh, journals and records of thoughts in my life, and um, I was not too long ago looking back in some of my old journals and uh, ones that I'd started when I was in high school, uh, around 17, and uh, as I was reading these, these things and thoughts and prayers that I had had back then and uh, thoughts after reading the Word of God and, and uh, learning from there. And, and I'd read these back when I was 17, and I'd think, you know, how is it that some of the same sins and the same problems I still deal with today? It's been over 17 years uh, since that time, and you would think, you know, after this amount of time, there ought to have been some progress in my life. Surely, somewhere down the road... I stopped falling into the same sins that I did as a teenager, as a new believer in Christ. But we do not. We continue, and we still battle with some of the same sins from our days of youth. I just want to share with you that if you're like that, you're like me, and we're like Abraham. Abraham is a person that we have seen fail, though he is called the father of faith. We have seen that there was a, a, one of the great failures in his life is when he went down into Egypt and, and claimed and told everyone else, this woman who I'm with, she's not really my wife, she's my sister, and so please don't kill me in trying to get to this lady. Um, and so we saw where that led him in and, uh, and quite a pickle in Egypt where Pharaoh claimed uh, his sister, uh, his wife, and uh, how God brought him out of that, though he was lying to preserve himself. Now it's been almost 20 years and we're about to see the exact same sin after 20-some years. It's been quite a puzzle as I study this passage in Genesis 20. In chapter 19, those of you who were with us last week, we saw God's judgment, literally his fire and brimstone on the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God said to a city, that's it. I will no longer tolerate your continued oppression and sin and haughtiness and, and sexual sins before me. There is a limit. And we saw the city was destroyed, the land was destroyed, the crops and the animals destroyed, save Lot and his two daughters. And we've seen how sin has even uh, gone into the very heart of Lot. And so we might question God's goodness, his gracious nature in chapter 19. Uh, but in chapter 20, you see God's grace with the sin of Abraham. There's no mention of fire and brimstone. In fact, we were hard-pressed to find a word of judgment on Abraham. And so we struggle with God's fairness here in this point and his righteousness. But we have uh, just in a wonderful mix. We need to understand that God is both the God of graciousness, grace and the God of judgment. He is the God of holiness and he is the God of mercy. He is the God of discipline and he is the God of compassion. He is one and the same. And we see these aspects of his personality in chapter 19 and chapter 20. And so I have puzzled through these passages 
uh, you'll probably puzzle as well as I bring out certain things to you, but I also want to point you to some very powerful truths about God and about sin, about yourself, three powerful truths that come from this passage. And so, uh, understanding this, let's bring our attention uh, to chapter 20. If you'll stand as we read this together, you read silently as I read aloud to you. Chapter 20, beginning with verse 1. Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she even, even she herself said, he is my brother, in the integrity of my heart, in the innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against thee. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. He shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live, and if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Therefore Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants, and told all these things in their ears, and the men were sore afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said unto him, What hast thou done unto us, and what have I offended thee, that thou hast brought on me and on the kingdom a great sin? Thou hast done deeds unto me that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, what sawest thou that hast done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will slay me for my wife's sake. Yet indeed she is my sister, and she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, This is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me. At every place, whether we shall come, say of me, He is my brother." And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men's service and women's service and gave them to Abraham and restored him, Sarah, his wife. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before thee. Dwell where it pleaseth thee. And unto Sarah he said, Behold, I have given thy brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, he is thee a covering of the, the eyes unto all that are with thee and with all other. Thus she was reproved. So Abraham prayed unto God, and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maidservants, and they bare children. The Lord had fast closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. You may be seated. Verse 1, we get the word that Abraham's on the move again. He's been staying in near the, the trees of Mamre, has been called near Hebron. Uh, there he has been there for many years in obedience to the Lord. He had moved previously going down to Egypt because of famine. Now he's moving again. We don't know the, all the reasons why he's moving. Uh, it could very well be that the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah had rendered the, the land around him useless for his pastor. We, we don't know what the motivation is, just he's moving. And as he did with Egypt, he has this plan, this plot we see given in verse 2, where he says of his wife, she's my sister. And, and the thought is, as we learn from Abraham later on, that he did not want to be attacked, he did not want to be killed, so that someone could get to his wife and, and have his wife as their own. And so this was his plot. Now, just kind of put this in perspective. In chapter 18, he has had the most intimate spiritual encounter up to this point by any person. Have you ever asked yourselves, you know, wouldn't it be nice if God could just write 
on the sky what you would have me to do. I don't have to wonder about it. Give me a letter, tattoo it on my arm, whatever, make it clear. Just have a, a chat with God. If God would but do that, then I would obey him and all that he has told me to do. I want to present to you Exhibit A as to why that would not work. Here you have Abraham. Abraham has everything that you could ever ask in a personal encounter with God. You want visions? Abraham has had visions. You want visits by angels? He's had visits, visits by angels. He's had dreams in which God has spoken to him. And above and beyond all these things, God has come in the flesh with his angels and had a sit-down meal with Abraham. And in so doing, he tells Abraham that within the year, his wife will have a child Sarah, whom he thinks is too old and who Sarah thinks is too old to have a child, they will have a child within the year. Sarah laughs. God asks, why are you laughing? And he says, do you not know nothing is too difficult for me? He has every assurance that within a year, there will be a child with Sarah. So the one thing that you do, you be with Sarah. He does not do. He puts it all in jeopardy. Here is the lesson that you learn from this. You are never too spiritual to sin. You are never too spiritual to sin. You could not ask for more from Abraham. He is called a friend of God. He has had all these intimate encounters with God, and yet he still sins. And not just in any way, he sins in a way that he knows is wrong, is presumptuous in his manner. It is, is a practice sin that he has done 20 years prior. He repeats again. You're never too spiritual to sin. I, I was joking with uh, Jonathan Holmes. He was telling me how he could not wear, I should have said this in first service, he, he could not wear a, a cell phone belt. Uh, you know, these little things attached to your belt. He says, I'm too cool to wear a belt on your, you know, a little belt package. I was like, I said, you know, Jonathan, you're not too cool. <laughs> you're not too cool. And, and see, here's, here's the point. I, 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 should, I should do that when he was in here. I'll tell him about it. But, you know, that's the point, is that we are not too spiritual to sin. Sometimes we think, you know, there's priests or pastors or deacons or Sunday school teachers. They just have a way of thinking that's different from me. We do not. We are sinners, and we're alike in that. Uh, Rich Mullins has talked about a song that where the plumber has a leaky faucet and the, and the preacher's thinking evil thoughts. That's how it is in this life. And that's how it is with Abraham. No one is too spiritual that sin is not a part. You need to understand that, that just because you have time in the Word of God, just because you come here on Sunday and you're faithful, you sing in the choir or you give or whatever it is, you have not gotten to the point where sin cannot enter into your life. Understand that. Safeguard your life. Understand that there needs to be accountability in your life where someone will ask you from time to time, why do you do that? Because you know that you're capable of sin. Abraham is not too spiritual to sin. He messes up even after great, powerful assurances from God, spiritual successes. You'll find after spiritual successes that sin is always right behind the door, waiting to be a part of your life, especially after those moments and times. And so... Abraham falls in the same pattern. We'll see his rationalization as his excuses for it. But you just need to know that. 
When you look at this passage and you look at the story, you see Abraham singing again. You're not too spiritual to sin. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said, Indeed, you're a dead man. <laughs> because the woman you've taken for, she is a man's wife. How would you like that for a dream? All right? You are dead. <laughs> and you've, you've committed adultery, essentially. You're, you've taken a man's wife for, for your own. But notice Abimelech's response. Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? That was the very same question that Abraham asked God after hearing Sodom and, Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed. He said, will you destroy a whole nation if there's 50 righteous people in it? That's not like you, God. God says, no, I won't do that. Even if there's 40, 30, 20, if there's but 10 righteous people, God will preserve a wicked nation for those righteous 10. And so a question comes again about God's character. Abimelech said, I'm innocent in these things. How can it be that you will judge me according to my innocence? And then we find God's reply, or his explanation, Abimelech's explanation. Did he not say to me, she's my sister? In other words, I did not know these things. He says, in the integrity of my intellect and the innocent of my hands, in my behavior, I've done this. I was not aware, and I've not actually touched her. We have not committed adultery. And God said to him a dream. Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. You know, God knows the intentions of your heart. He knows. He is aware of these things. You're not having to inform God of anything. God is aware of these things. But what you do need to know that there is sin that Abimelech commits whether he is aware of it or not. Just because his intentions were not aware did not mean that he was guiltless of the sin. You just need to know there is sin that you may commit and you're not even aware of it. You don't even know it. That's how Abimelech was. And then God brings it to his attention. It's a response that was brought to your attention that matters. You know, some folks have been asking me, I was talking the last couple of weeks about how confession and the role of confession is not something that your salvation is dependent on after you've made Jesus your Savior and Lord. That confession, the role of confession is to restore your fellowship with God. But your position in Christ as being uh, forgiven and saved by God is intact. You are a son, a daughter of God, because you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and Lord. So what's the role of confession? And that's a question that, that comes. But let me just say that if you have a, a view of thinking that, well, you know, God's blood is not effective unto me unless I confess every known sin of my life. And uh, if I am to die in a state where all my sins are not confessed before God, then, well, God will say, sorry... My blood was there for you, but you didn't apply it by confessing your sins. You're going to hell. And that's the theology, really, that many folks have come, come with. Here's the problem with that. There are sins you do you don't even know you're doing. So at that point in time, you die, and, and God says, Oh, well, you know, you've confessed a lot of sins, but let me just show a whole track of life that you've not confessed. <clears throat> oh, sorry. The hell with you. That, the problem with that is it doesn't ring true with 1 John 5, 13, where it says, These things I've written to you that you may know you have eternal life. And the problem with that is it adds to the gospel of Jesus Christ that I must do something in my actions to make sure that the blood of Christ is applied to me. And what I find is that, well, it's just the blood of Christ. I acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior, ask him to forgive me of my sins, and at that moment in time, God does a miraculous action in my spirit and in my soul, and therefore the righteousness is given to me, my sin is given to God. Do I keep confessing, Christ, confessing my sin? Yes. Not to ensure my salvation, 
But because I am saved, I keep confessing my sin, and it restores my fellowship with God. You just need to understand this, because here you have a case in point of a person who's sinning, and he's not even knowing it until God brings it to his attention. And then he says, yes, I know you did this integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning, from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. All right? There has been something that's been given to Abimelech, and indeed, into their entire household. Perhaps a, a fatal disease uh, that's being applied to him, but also a disease that is impacting his ability to be with his harem, or his wives, if you get what I mean. Okay? There's something going on here. And what he had perhaps seen as a curse, God is saying, that was my act of mercy. That was my act of mercy. You just need to know that there are sometimes there's frustrations in your life that can actually be God's way of preventing you from doing something further. How many times has God intervened in our lives and kept us from making stupid mistakes? How many times has he intervened in our life and kept us pure when we would rather become impure? How many times is that true for you? Now God, he, he appeared to Bimelech and saying, I'm watching you. Don't take this woman into your harem. God is instructing Abimelech to do the right thing. And what's implied is that Abimelech may have been innocent, but his inclinations were certainly otherwise. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I have no idea how wicked I would be if it were not for the intervention of God in my life. You just need to know those things that we count as frustrations could be actually God's mercy. I tell myself that sometimes when I'm stuck in a traffic jam. <laughs> it's, you know, I'm trying to keep a, a right mental state, you know. I'm like, oh, man. And one of the things I tell myself, well, you know, it could very well be that I'm in this traffic jam to keep it from being in an accident later on, you know. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's certainly the right type of thinking. Uh, and, and we just need to understand. What we count as frustrations, even as curses, can actually be God's mercy to prevent us from further sin. We don't have the full picture. God does. And sometimes when we're questioning the rightness of what things that God is doing, it's only because we don't see the full picture. And so he says, look, I know this Abimelech, and I've been working and intervening to keep you from further sin. I've been merciful to you and did not even know it. Now, one of the things that I struggle with as I read this passage is the contrast between Abimelech Abraham and how God deals with them, and that is Sodom and Gomorrah, for that matter. Here, Abimelech, he's sinning and not even aware of it. It's unintentional. God says to him, if you don't repent, you're going to surely die. And then you have Abraham. Abraham, he's sinning, knowing full well what he's doing. He's already done this before. He knows about God. He has intimate encounters with God. And yet he continues in his sin. And we have no word in this passage where God says to Abraham, you better repent or you will surely die. Instead, we have God giving word to Abimelech. He's my prophet and he's going to pray for you. And then he gets rewarded for with crops or with livestock, rather, silver, land. And I'm thinking, God... How does that work? You know, it seems like you're playing favorites. Are you just? 
Are you righteous? How come Abimelech gets the raw deal here and Abraham does not? It's a good question. But here's what I would present to you. And that's this. Just as we're not too spiritual to sin, you need to know that there are degrees to sin. There are degrees to sin. You, you may think, well, I thought sin was equally heinous before God. Yes, you're right. But the consequences have varying consequences. At the heart of every sin is this root. God, I know better than you. I am greater than you. And I will do what I want to do. It doesn't matter how white or dark the light is. Whether you're murdering someone or scorning someone. Whether you're committing adultery, homosexuality, or you have lustful thoughts, at the root of every single one of those is that same attitude. God, I'm greater than you, and I will do better than you. I know better than you, and I will live my own way. That root is abhorred by God. It flies right in the face of God's character. And so at the root, every sin is heinous before him. However, you have to understand, me calling... Harvey, a bad word is different than me killing Sam. All right? How is that different? Well, the consequences are different. The degree of which I've now hated Sam to the point that I've killed him is different. There are varying degrees of sin. Here you have Abimelech who is on the verge of committing adultery, which we find later on is uh, condemned with death in the Old Testament. And here you also have Abraham committing a self-preserving lie. There are varying degrees. The root is the same problem of a re rejection against God. However, what you have in Abimelech is if he commits this adulterous act with Sarah, he jeopardizes God's plan for the salvation for the world and that Jesus Christ would come of this line. That's the end result of Abimelech's sin. What's the end result of Abraham's sin? Well, the sin gets carried on, passed on to his son Isaac. But in Abraham's life, the end result is that he learns to trust in God in a whole new way. We'll explain that in just a little bit. But I've come to the point to understand that sometimes God will allow sin in my life to prevent me from further and greater sin. All right? Sometimes God will allow sin in my life to prevent me from further and greater sin. Let me just bring this out. When I struggle with reoccurring sins, and I ask God, God, you know, can't you just stop these things in my life? Can't, can't you just keep these things from happening in my life? Why do I always seem to battle with these reoccurring sins that I think that I've got them whipped and they come right back God, how can this be? But you know what the point of that is? It drives me to a greater dependence on God's grace and God's forgiveness. And I say, God, you know my dirty heart. I need your forgiveness. I need your cleansing. And as I do that, it's impossible for me to be prideful spiritually before God. And the pride spiritually before God is a greater sin. It is a greater sin. Do you understand what I'm saying in this? There are varying degrees of sin, and it could very well be that God may allow sins to continue your life.
that will prevent you from greater sins. All is heinous before God, but they are varying in their consequences and what happens that we pay. So let's kind of explore this a little bit further. God gives the solution to Abimelech. He says, verse 7, Now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. (laughs) Did you get that? That's God talking to Abimelech. Imagine being Abimelech. He hears this. He said, you mean to tell me, God, that this man who has lied to me, put my life in jeopardy, put the life of my family in jeopardy because of his lying, he's your prophet? (laughs) That would have been a good time for me as if I was God to say, you know, that's Abraham guy. I don't know where he come from, you know. He's just a man, you know, he's just, he's not mine. That's what we would do. We would, you know, we would kind of get some distance. God doesn't make any distance. He says, he's his prophet. What do you make of that? Here's what you make of it. God uses sinful people to accomplish his purposes. <laughs> That's what you make of it. God uses sinful people to accomplish his purposes. Abraham, he's got his problems, but he says, you know what? He is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. Not only does he use simple people to accomplish his purposes, he uses prayer to accomplish his purposes. Just think about it. God could have used any means he wanted to to heal Abimelech. He could have said, if you just do these things, it will happen. He could have just declared it with the word. But instead, he says, I want you to utilize Abraham, talk to Abraham, and where he's going to utilize prayer between this person and this prayer, I will work. That tells us a little bit about prayer today. Why do we pray? Because God has chosen to release his power through prayer. Yes, he could have chosen any means he wanted to, but he has chosen prayer, and he's chosen sinful people to pray. That's how power is released in Abraham's life. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. I could have titled the sermon, uh, What Happens?, uh, when bad Christians come to good people, all right? That's kind of what you got here. Bad Christian happening to a good person in Abimelech and how he's acting. He could have said, you know what, God, you've just got a room filled of hypocrites. I don't want to deal with this. But you notice, he is not letting the hypocrisy of Abraham hinder him from obeying God. Notice what happens verse 8. Abimelech rose early in the morning, no delay, called his servants, told them all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. Friends, you just, you need to understand, don't let the hypocrisy of others around you keep you from being obedient to God. Don't be so concerned with other people. You've got your own issues. I've got my own issues. Sometimes folks ask me from time to time when they find out I'm a pastor, they say, how can you be a leader in a church? Don't you know the church is filled with hypocrites? How can, I just can't stand to be in a place where they're hypocrites. I'm just like, wow. You must really get it, got it together. You know, I say, do you go to a football game? Do you go to the grocery store? Do you go anywhere? Because last time I figured out, hypocrites are everywhere. That doesn't keep me from going to the grocery store. It won't keep me going to the football game. 
Hypocrites are everywhere. And why are you so concerned about everybody else when you've got your own problems? I've got my own problems. And I just think, you know what? I'm sure there are hypocrites in our church. I'm not surprised if they are. But you know what? I'm so concerned about making sure my life is not being filled with hypocrisy. I don't have time to deal with that. I'm pretty well busy on my own. You know? But here Abimelech has got a hypocrite in front of him to call it a prophet. But God has told him something, and he realizes his life is dependent on this. He doesn't let the sin of Abraham keep him from being obedient to God. Gets up in the morning and calls the leaders together and says, look, this is what's going to happen. There's a fear. So verse 9, Abimelech calls Abraham. It's time to call Abraham on the carpet. He said to him, what have you done to us? How have I offended you? You brought me on the kingdom of great sin. You've done to me what ought not to be done. Abraham is being chastised. He's being preached to by Abimelech, who is not a believer, because this guy knows the difference between right and wrong. Friends, there are some times when believers will do such heinous things that unbelievers know it is wrong and they do not do. That is not above a, a Christian. These things happen. But listen, if an unbeliever rebukes you, you better listen. Just because they're not a believer doesn't mean they cannot speak the words of God to you. That's what's going on here with Abraham. Abraham called Abraham to the Abimelech called Abraham on the carpet on these things. Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you have in view? What were you thinking? <laughs> All right? Have you ever asked that of your children? What are you thinking? That's what he's thinking. What, what's, the, what's the motivation here? Abraham gives his explanation. Verse 11, well, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. <laughs> he's afraid that he's going to get mistreated because they don't believe God. And here he is mistreating Abimelech, and he fears God. Isn't that ironic? Fear. It's not for lack of knowledge. He knows that God can take care of him. God has told him personally there's nothing too difficult for him. He has proved it to him just 20 years prior in Egypt. It's not for lack of knowledge. It's lack of faith. We must be careful, those of us who know the word of God, who know the Bible, we know too much and we believe too little. And that's what's going on here with Abraham's life. Fear. But indeed, she truly is my sister. It's emphatic, truly, or verily, she really is my sister. She's the daughter of my father, not the daughter of my mother. She became my wife. Rationalization. Fear, rationalization, based on technicalities. Well, technically, she is my sister. I mean, she's my half-sister. Friends, when you have arguments based on technicalities, I would just present to you, be very careful, because there's probably not much love our faith in that argument. He has a technicality, rationalizing in a way. He's got fear. Then notice what he says, verse 13, it came to pass when God calls me to wonder from my father's house that I said to her, you start to get the idea, you start to blame God. God's the one has got me journeying all around the place. If I wasn't journeying all around, I wouldn't have to be doing all these devices. He's starting to blame God. And then I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. Sarah, if you really love me, if you really love me, then whenever you go, you just will tell folks I'm, I'm just your brother. If you really love me, let's have sex before marriage. If, if you really love me, why don't you lie for me to the IRS? 
If you really love me, then you would understand my needs to play the field. If you really love me, then you won't have any problems lying to the boss and telling him I'm sick at home. If you really love me, then you will put me ahead of God. Ladies, do not believe the lie. That is not love. It's selfishness. But here, Abraham, the father of faith, is using that same tired old line. If you really love me. He says, well, you know, I've got fear. I've got this little rationalization going on. Besides, God's got me calling, calling me all over the place. And, and besides, my wife and I have this little tradition going on. <laughs> this is just what we tell folks. This is how we are. Their tradition. Their problem with this, these are the excuses of, of Abraham. I bet Abimelech found these pretty weak. Abraham seems to be the only one believing these things. And the one thing that I want to hear, we do not hear. Abraham's saying, Abimelech, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. How can I make it right to you? Seems to me as we read this, it ought to be Abraham who's paying Abimelech. But instead, we find it's Abimelech paying Abraham. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, a male, and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. He restored Sarah, his wife, to him. He says, Abraham, I don't care what you say. I, <laughs> that's your problem. You deal with it, God. But as for me, I will obey God. Here, I want to make sure that I have no guilt in my life. And Sarah, he said, behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of her. Notice this is your brother. He didn't say your wife, your husband, your brother. I think there's a bit of irony that he's saying to her. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you, before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. Why was she rebuked? Because she obeyed her husband instead of obeying God. We do not obey our husbands at the expense of obeying God. So Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abram, Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. And they bore children. The Lord had closed up all the wounds of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, his wife. And I would say Sarah was also part of the household at the time. She was barren. Can you imagine Abraham? Why did, why did God ask Abraham to pray? I think one reason is that he's asking Abraham to step out on faith again. To restore his heart with the Lord. I wish I could have heard his prayer. What if you were Abraham? <laughs> All right. You have just been rebuked big time by a king. And you're just putting out excuses. And now, he says, I want you to pray for me. And God's going to heal me because of your prayer. You know what I'd be thinking? I think, yeah, uh, king, you know, I'm just not ready to pray. <laughs> My heart's not right. I just, I'm sorry. You just, you just take a brain check on that bit. That's kind of what I'd be thinking. Abraham doesn't have that luxury. He is commanded he says, if he doesn't pray, he owes Abimelech a prayer. So what do you pray when you bow your knee or whatever the custom was in that day and time when you pray? Where does your confidence lie in hopes of having this prayer answered? <laughs> I bet Abraham wasn't saying, God, you know my faithfulness. You know my clean heart. You know my clean hands. Hear my prayer. The faithfulness, or the answer, was not based on the faithfulness of Abraham. Abraham is about to get a whole new lesson. 
These things come by God and God alone. Not Abraham's devices, not his faithfulness, not his cleverness. It is by God and God alone that God's work gets done. And he experiences in a whole new way, and that is a prayer. And as he prays, God, you have to answer this prayer. It's not because of me. It's all because of you. And that's one of the huge lessons in our lives. To understand that when God works in our life, it's because God wants to. Not because there's something great and grand and brilliant and beautiful in us that God says, hey, I want to work in that person. It's because of God. He chooses to use sinful people. Because, you know what? <laughs> there's not many tools out there that aren't sinful. If it wasn't going to be Abraham, it was going to be Abimelech, it would be someone else, they'd have some other problem. You know, I... Um, we're always trying to teach our girls how to, the value of money and teach them that they have to work for money and we pay them. And, and so consequently, when they spend the money, we're, we're trying to teach them, you know, there's some things that's good to spend money on, some things that are not. Uh, when we first started, they loved going to the dollar store because they could actually buy something. <laughs> you know, they didn't have a lot of money. And so they would say, oh, let's go to the dollar store. We can get something real quick, you know. And so consequently, I gave them a cheap little toy. And in two days, it's not working anymore. I said, Daddy, you know, this toy, can you fix it? I said, I'm sorry, this is not something I can fix. It's just not the kind of quality. It, it's repairable. I said, well, you know, I, I, they were sad. And I would say, well, you know, that's what happens when you buy cheap stuff. It'll break easily. If you want something that won't break, you're going to have to save up your money and be a little bit more patient and, and buy something nicer. Don't waste your money on cheap things. But you know, as I read this passage, I get the strange sensation that God likes to shop at dollar stores. It seems to me that as I look at the, the grace of God, I, I think, you know, God, why do you waste your grace on someone like this who repeats the same sins over and over again? And, and God, for that matter, you know, I seem pretty cheap quality myself. Why do you give your grace to me? I'm not worth it. I'm liable to, to sin again. I've got problems deep within me. But God lavishes his grace. Not to teach us that we are such great quality. The Bible says we're but earthen vessels. We're like jars of clay made of dust and dirt and soon to go back. But he buys us with his grace to show he's got a lot of grace. It glorifies grace. My daughter won't spend all their money on dollar things. It would say, you know what? You've got a lot of dollars and you don't mind spending it. Well, God has a lot of grace and he doesn't mind spending it. But you know, the one thing that he cannot abide, he cannot tolerate, is when we as dollar store items, say before the creator of us and say, God, I don't need your mercy. I don't need your grace. I will do this on my own, by your own, my own works. I will be as good as I can, and I will make some kind of device, some method whereby I know that I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I reject your grace. God cannot abide that. 
what he needs of us as a little bit of honesty and say, God, I'm but just a trinket in a dollar store. But if you want to give your grace to me, I sure do need it. I proclaim that Jesus is my Savior and Lord, and I will make him the treasure of my life. I understand it's not my works that will save me, but Lord, I need you to change my heart. And I think that works are a symptom of you changing my life, not the cause. God, I'll gladly be your little clay vessel to show that what's in us is of you, not of us. And so Abram, the prophet, walks off the scene and has a baby. (laughs) And we ask, God, how can you do such things as this? The same way he does it in your life. I'm like Abraham. He's not my model of morality. Jesus is. But he is my mirror of reality. And I can say, Abraham, I'm much like you. But praise God. God is still the same. Do you know God's graciousness? I think that it is right and good to reflect again on the songs that was led by John, John Boozer. Let me read that line to you. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his father's throne, throne above, his free, so free, so infinite his grace. Emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless leg. Race, tis mercy all immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. That's the amazing love and grace of our Savior. Buying up dollar store trinkets, you and me, to show his grace. Let's pray. Oh Father, I do thank you for your wonderful, matchless unsurpassing grace. Lord, I have a hard time understanding and reconciling how it is that you judge sin and are holy, and at the same time, you have love and kindness and mercy and grace, but all I can say that they are reconciled in your person, Jesus Christ, and that on the cross, grace, mercy, righteousness, and judgment kissed in a powerful way in the person of Jesus on the cross. The collision, the meeting of these attributes resulted in the tragic but your ordained death of your son, Jesus Christ. The end result that mercy and grace can be given to me, forgiveness is available. But Lord, may I not put your grace to vain. May we treasure your son, Jesus, as supreme most valuable in all of our life. I pray this in your name.